To all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 64. We back in the building, man, each and every Tuesday, right back down here, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, YouTube, Google Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it, we doing it. We are back in the building, man, each and every Tuesday, live and direct with podcasts on all platforms to get your podcast from. Episode 64, man, we in the building today, and uh, I'm feeling really good about this episode, I have to tell you right off the rip because uh it's some definitely some heavy hitting news and views that i'm going to give you today that is going to loom large in the way things play out in the nfl especially got some news to talk about in the nba as well so we're going to get right into it as a quick preview of what we're going to talk about today we're going to get an nba who's in the news we're going to talk about lebron james and his uh, subsequent ejection from the pistons game we'll talk about that uh we're going to talk about uh the kings real quick and uh, how they have changed the guard and coaching we also talk about the Nuggets. The Nuggets got some things going on with their roster and one particular player, Michael Porter Jr. We're going to talk about him and his situation. And we're going to jump over the NFL headlines. We're going to talk about uh, Cam Newton. We're going to get into his uh, return to Carolina uh, for the first time going against his old coach, Ron Rivera. We're going to get into the Seattle Seahawks and what's going on with them in the AFC West division. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers and they took another uh, big time injury. Uh, to their roster and uh, what this going to mean for them going forward. Uh, we're going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs as well. We're going to talk about exactly what uh, they're going to do going forward um, as far as being in contention for the playoffs and maybe a Super Bowl run. Uh, we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills as well. Uh, they seem to be free-falling at the moment, so we're going to try to deep dive into why. We're going to talk about Evil Empire yet again this week. Uh, they're new on my radar again this week um, for even better reason. And uh, we're going to get into that as well. And then we're going to talk about the overall AFC and who's the front runner. We're going to get into that. Uh, as well as giving our updates on COVID news and who's on the COVID list and uh, injuries. We'll get into those. We'll break down our hot games of the week and how we fared. And then we'll get into our blind side hit of the week and our grievance of the week as we wrap up the NFL headlines. And then we'll wrap it up holistically with the fourth quarter closeout. We'll give our awards for breakout player of the week, lockdown defender of the week, and big dummy of the week. So stay tuned for that. So let's get into who's the news, man. Let's do it. Who's in the news from the NBA's perspective? Uh, NBA has been pretty uh, quiet, I guess you can say, as far as uh, hot and heavy topics. It is early. You know, we definitely got 82 games to play. Uh, we only, we're a little less than 20 games in uh, at this juncture. And there's a whole lot of things going on right now, I want to say. I mean, when, when it's running concurrently with the NFL, you know, I don't want to say the NBA takes a back seat. But, you know, it seems it's, 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 def- it's what you watch between Tuesday and Friday. You know, um, well, you know, outside of the Thursday night games as well. But, you know, you pay attention to basketball during the week, football during the weekend. You know, it is what it is. But I tell you, you know, uh, amidst what was going on football-wise Sunday, there were some definitely some interesting things going on um, from the basketball perspective in, in Detroit come uh, Sunday night. So the Lakers took on the Pistons in Detroit. And uh, we had a slight altercation that went down. Uh, LeBron James was involved in the altercation. And ironically enough, it was almost to the day anniversary of the Malice in the Palace. It's weird dynamic. But Sunday night, we were him and Isaiah Stewart got tangled up in as they were boxing each other out. And LeBron's arm got tangled with his stewards, and he swung his arm to get free, and hit Stewart in the eye, which caused a gash above his eye that drew significant blood from Stewart. LeBron appeared to reach out and, and try to apologize to Stewart, and Stewart then became irate. Now, I want to say he became irate around the time that he started to see the blood coming from his face. You know, give or take that. But 
it, it also coupled with the idea that him and LeBron got close to each other. You know, they put, they kind of put, get cl- I want to say get close within arm's reach of each other. And then the team started to try to separate them. I don't know what words were exchanged, but, and then once the team tried to separate them, Stewart got irate and wanted to go after LeBron. Weird incident, weird incident. You know, because the player stepped in, uh, you know, they, as he charged at LeBron and other Lakers on the court. And this went on for quite some time. You know, they were, he was trying to get to LeBron. He tried several times to get to LeBron and other Lakers on the court. And even to the point where he ran in the locker room, tried to run to the other side of the arena to get to the side of the Lakers bench so he can get to the Lakers players, namely LeBron. So LeBron and, and Stewart subsequently ejected after this melee. And... Um, the league stepped in the next day and they suspended both uh, LeBron and Stewart uh, for one and two games respectively. Now, I understand this. I watched this live. And from what I can ascertain, LeBron looked like he swung his arm trying to get free himself from Stewart and he hit him in, in the area above the eye. Now, if you've ever watched boxing and in any cut that's hit like right above the eye, it bleeds severely. It bleeds severely. And that's what happened with Stewart's situation. He got gashed above his eye and it, ble- it bled profusely. So, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, some people have that, I guess you say, idea once you draw their blood and the, it sets them off. And, and it could have been Stewart's issue. Now, I will say that going back, I've seen him have altercations with other people, Giannis and, and uh, Blake Griffin and a few others, and uh, Luka Doncic. So, um, you know, I've seen him have altercations with other people, you know, I guess trying to intimidate them or whatever the case may be. So... You know, this, uh, I, I guess you could say showing or uh, irate outburst by him, you know, was on brand, I guess you can say. Um, you know, him being upset about the fact that he was injured in it. And, and I, you know, I understand. I'm not downplaying the fact that he got hit, he had his uh, face gashed. Cause that's, not, that's not cool. You know, and I, like, but again, you know, you question whether or not it was intentional. You know, and I guess, and, I, and I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to see, you know, sports shows and social media spaces and and I'm, I'm seeing the clear-cut divide now the people that that hate or dislike lebron are seeing this as a vicious act and the people that love or respect lebron see it as an unintentional uh incident you know and it depends on what side you want you know again and, and now i'm really understanding too how i see the how political how people are divided by politics and and different groups as a whole uh, and if you support that particular group, you automatically believe, you know, holistically in those views, whether they are right, wrong, or indifferent for every situation. You know, because again, I've seen people that uh, they don't have any uh, good things to say about LeBron, you know, say that it was a vicious act. And people that either love LeBron or respect LeBron as a player, they say it was unintentional. Now, understand this, LeBron James has never been a malicious or dirty player. He's never been that. So, you know, I guess you can say your character should precede you in, in, in this situation. You know, I really think that it was an unintentional act, in my opinion. But yet again, you have to look at it like you know, the optics of it, where you're at, and the long, the, how long the incident went on. You know, the league had to, the referees and the league had to step in and do something uh, swiftly and make it, uh, you know, kind of set a, a ground or precedence about these type of things where will or will not be tolerated, and they did. And then, and kudos to them for stepping in and doing that. I, I fully expected LeBron to be suspended as well as Stewart, but 
you know, I don't, I didn't know what severity or how long they were going to be suspended for. But, um, but yet again, I was, I would definitely say that, uh, you know, they did the right thing, ejecting them and suspending them. It's fine. You know, again, again, if it was intentional or not, whatever you side you lean on, you know, that's just, I want to say the letter of the law, but you know, there's some certain things you kind of try to nip in the bud and don't let it escalate or let people off the hook for it because it could have ramifications for other teams or other players. So, you know, so it had, it had to be done in my opinion, it had to be done. But yet again, I, like I said, it's, you know, it's whoever side you on, it just depends on, uh, you know, how you feel about LeBron's actions, you know, give or take. So, and, and I understand this. I wish I really wished I was doing a podcast when, before LeBron became a Laker because you're like, well, you know, coach defense, you're a Lakers fan. You're going to defend LeBron. You know, and I, in all honesty, and let me break this down. I've been critical of LeBron James in the past before he became a Laker. You know, when he was with, when he was with the Heat, he was with the Cavs. I've had things to say, you know, there was a, a criticism of his game in certain regards. I have. You know, I'm not going to shy away from that now because he's on the Lakers. I'm not going to shy away from that. You know, but understand this also, LeBron is a person and a human being and, and uh, uh, just an overall good person. I respect I'm always going to respect that. Whether I have issues with his free throw shooting, you know, or, uh, you know, what else, you know, we can drive on in his, his jump shot, you know, although he's fixed that seemingly here lately, but, you know, his jump shooting, you know, I had issues with the jump shooting and his things of that nature were, you know, kind of things he could clean up in his game, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, so again, I've never been just a straight up, Oh, LeBron is the best thing moving kind of guy. You know, when I when things are wrong or right with the situation, I, I try to do my best to call it out. So again, I'm not uh, going to advocate for LeBron just because he's a Laker. You know, but yet again, in this situation, I I really feel like you know because who LeBron James is, never been a malicious player. You know, I really feel like that. You know, he wouldn't pick now to be violent and malicious and, and elbow or punch people in the face on purpose. I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that. But again, like I said, it depends on what side you lean on. Now, you could argue, you know, if you know if he was a dirty player, you know, somebody like Patrick Beverly, or if his history preceded him like Draymond Green getting texts and, and having mo- dirty play moments, or you know, you know, you can you can argue intent. And again, like I said, I don't think LeBron is a malicious. It, is, it was a malicious act, and people, you know, you just you get tangled up in the in game, and he was it was an inadvertent elbow. It happens all the time, and. I've seen quite a few basketball players on social media and on TV speaking out to say these type of things happen. You know, it happens all the time. People catch inadvertent elbows and punches and things of that nature. I've seen a guy, I want to say it was Lonzo Ball that got hit like this recently, where a guy got an end one and Lonzo was running in trying to defend the play and he turned around and swung his hand and punched Lonzo right in the face. So, you know, it, it wasn't, he wasn't looking, he, he wasn't, he wasn't turning around looking for Lonzo. He just turned around and was excited and pumped his fist and Lonzo ran into it. Things like that happen. You know, so again, I don't think it was a malicious act. And, you know, whoever side you lean on, you know, you hate LeBron, you love him, you respect him, you dislike him, whatever the case may be. It's, it's typically what people are leaning with the situation. But again, his history tells me, if nothing else, that, you know, he's not a malicious person. And I don't think you can argue that. He's not a malicious person. He's never been that. So, you know, I would I would let it lie with that. Now, I do find something interesting in this situation that the Pistons play the Pistons and Lakers just play each other again on Sunday. And they're both of their suspensions will be over 
at that time. So they're both going to be on the court again with each other. Now I'm hoping that cooler heads but fail in this situation, but it's an interesting and popcorn worthy moment because who knows how this is going to play out. You know, is Stewart going to let, you know, bygones be bygones? Cause I'm sure, I'm sure it, it, to me, LeBron has no issue, but it's still going to let these, this type of, uh, you know, incident go, or is he going to be looking for revenge? You know, like he's Drake in summer 16. I don't know. But, uh, but yet again, we'll see how it plays out, but I'll be tuning in on Sunday as a side cast. Like I was watching on Sunday, this past Sunday while I watched the football, I was going to be side casting that Lakers game just to see how it plays out, uh, in, on TV. So, uh, forwarding over to another team in the, uh, Western conference, uh, the Sacramento Kings made a move, uh, I want to say Monday morning, and uh, they decided to let Luke Walton go of his duties as head coach for the Sacramento Kings, which is going to ultimately elevate Alvin Gentry, who was the assistant to head coach interim. Now, I uh, actually, I want to say that Luke got made. It might happen on Monday. It might happen on Sunday. I, I'm trying to recall exactly when the news came out. Actually, it was Sunday when he got let go. And I honestly, quite honestly, you know, just to be clear, I, I really thought, I'm sure that a lot of people saw this coming. There was just a question of, and one of the question of, of, of if, or more so when, you know, just when, when, when were they going to pull the trigger? Because it just wasn't working with Luke in, in Sacramento. And I really feel like this team, from a roster perspective, has really underachieved. I mean, the roster has some really good players on it. You got, you got Halliburton, Badgley, Fox, Hill, and they even have Tristan, they have Tristan Thompson as a big man presence uh, on this team. You know, so they got a good young team. and They have not played in stretches well under under Walton. Now, uh, so the ultimate question now moving forward is that can Alvin Gentry perform a Nate McMillan type act and get the team playing better now that Watson's gone? Excuse me, Walton's gone. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but I would say that, uh, you know, outside of having a more versatile big man, this team is super, super talented. And can compete in the in the West if if they were, uh, I guess designed or coached in a manner that they could uh, maximize their talent. So we'll see what Alvin does. I mean, he has had up and down success in the league as a coach um, in recent history. So we'll see. I mean, if he pulls a Nick McMillan type move like he like Nate did with the Hawks last year, then that's gonna be exciting to see. Because I'm I really I'm a fan of Bashley and Fox and Hill's game especially. Um, so I mean, I honestly and truly been, I was still advocating for Buddy Hill to be a Laker. So, I mean, I'm, a, I'm definitely, uh, rooting for these young guys, you know, that, but yet again, they are young, but they, if they coach the right way, they can win some games. I mean, I think they're more talented on paper than the Grizzlies are, but the Grizzlies are winning games with Ja and this team is classically underachieving and that should happen. That shouldn't happen. You know, and it, it shows you how, also how bad they've been, uh, in the past several years, because, you know, Fox, Held, and, and Badgley, especially, are all high draft picks. So you've gotten high draft picks in over the last several years, and they're all playing together, and they're not winning games. So we'll see how what Alvin does, you know, and see if he can hold on to the job and may get a permanent role if he can make the team out to be a success. Uh, if not, they need to find a, a coach that can maximize this team's potential and, and get them playing good basketball. So speaking of young boys, uh, one of my favorite young players, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, uh, got some uh, news, to, I want to say Monday afternoon, that uh, he could uh, miss the rest of the season because he has a nerve problem in his back. Uh, 
And that's definitely an unfortunate turn of events because I really feel like this Denver team, fully healthy, was a dark horse for me to surprise and maybe upset some top tier teams in the West. And obviously, without him and his energy, that's not going to happen. You know, and that's a really big hit that, that's going to end up impacting the Nuggets as a whole, even before Jamal comes back. So um, I don't know exactly, because I feel like one of these injuries is, is they tell you it could be season ending, and that's typically how it ends. Like, they don't say that, yeah, it could be season injured ending, and then two weeks later he's back and he's playing. It never really shakes out that way. If, if they kind of hint towards it being season ending, it is whether or not he needs to, he makes a decision to have surgery or, or whatever procedure he has to get done to ultimately uh, end the season. So it's definitely a big blow for uh, the Nuggets. And I really feel like he was coming into his own. I was um, monitoring his matriculation from uh, last year to this year and this year to now. You know, so, you know, I think that, you know, it's, it sucks for him because, you know, it's going to derail his career a year. But, um, you know, overall, I wish him the best. I hope he gets healthy and can rectify this problem and get back on the court and be the dominant player that, that I know he has the potential to be. But uh, it definitely hurts my Nuggets' chances, man. I've definitely been rooting for them. That's my, you know, it's my, uh, them and the Warriors are like my teams that I root for when I'm not rooting for the Lakers, you know. So uh, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to when, when they can get, finally get back fully healthy and, and piece this team together as a full, complete unit and compete. Because I really think they are built with the right stuff. I like the way the Heat are constructed. I like the way the Bulls are constructed. I like the way the Nuggets are constructed. Because I really feel like they all they have a bunch of guys that are good, but they, nobody infringes on the other as far as talent and, and what they do well um, for you know amongst each other. So, you know, Jamal's a leader. Jokic is the, is the dominant big man. You know, you got your outside shooters, you got your defensive guys, and you, you got your energy, you know, three and D wing guys. So, <clears throat> you know, again, they're all, you know, spread out throughout that roster and they and it works it works well when it's all together. But, you know, with Jamal being out, you know, working his way back and then my goal could go out, it's it's rough. It's rough it's rough news. It's rough news. So I wish him the best and hopefully he can his speedy recovery and get back on the court as soon as possible. So Bit of summer news for the NBA to wrap up the segment, but you know, again, I think LeBron, you know, should uh, uh, not be condemned for this action if people are, you know, trying to say that or looking for something to try to give him to be, you know, out to be an evil person. I think Luke Walton, it was time for him to move on, and, and I'm just gonna, uh, you know, hope and pray that Michael Porter Jr. gets back on the court soon. That's gonna wrap up uh, who's the news NBA segment. Um, let's move over to the NFL headlines. And we're back with NFL Headlines. It's the Lockdown Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, a lot of NFL news going on, man. Uh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I just, uh, I'm chomping at the bit here, trying to get to it, trying to get to it, because there's a lot of things I want to discuss that's going on in the NFL. And, you know, some things that are under the covers, there's some, some things that are not on the surface that you can just click on ESPN or Fox News or, you know, NFL.com and just unpack real quick. Um, 
Uh, quick newsworthy uh, headlines that we can break real quick um, that happened Monday. Now, <laughs> I had to scratch my head at this one, you know, before we get deep, deep dive into the storylines I really want to discuss. So the Saints decided uh, Monday afternoon to, to extend Taysom Hill to uh, a four-year extension. Now, it's what I call a hybrid extension uh, based upon how they described it. Uh, it was going to keep him with the Saints, like I said, for the next four years. Now, if he stays in his current role as an H-back, air quote, right, uh, he will can gain up to about $55 million in his extension. You know, oh, but but if he happens to win the starting role at any point in time, this particular uh, deal could balloon in incentives up to $95 million. Very interesting and weird dynamic and weird deal. And reporters are saying that this team is a team-friendly deal, uh, but me personally, I don't see the value in it. I don't. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm trying to wrap my mind around you still holding on to the notion that he can be a starting quarterback. I mean, let's be real. He got beat out by James Winston and Trevor Simeon on his current deal. So, and Jason Hill's always in his 30s. So what, what make you think that he's going to do anything different than what he already has is puzzling to me. And I don't understand, you know, why would you want to be holding to somebody that's only situationally productive? Because you're honestly truly giving them the kind of money that a person that should garner that's going to be on the field every play. Uh, I don't know. I really feel like the Saints may end up regretting this. Um, they might, just like they might be regretting that Michael Thomas deal at this point. But regardless, uh, to me, Taysom Hill is a situational guy. And I just don't see the value of paying a situational guy, although he can play multiple roles. Uh, playing a situational guy... Uh, that kind of money. I don't see it um, now. But again, if they built in certain things that are kind of, uh, you know, as my favorite term at the moment under the covers that we don't see that can get them out of the deal if they want to move on at any point in time, then that's fine. But, you know, on the surface, you know, four years, $55 million, maybe $95 million at the high ceiling uh, or a situational guy, it's a bit much for me. But somehow or another, I don't know if it's Sean Payton or the organization itself, but they love – Taysom Hill, because they've given this guy two good contracts uh, over the last six years uh, worth a deal. I gave him a two-year deal, and I gave him a four-year deal. Um, gave him six years worth of deals over the past, you know, three or four years, I want to say, or seasons that have garnered good money for situational guys. So they love him at some point. Again, and I barely see him on the, on the field here lately. So I don't get the idea of them utilizing him to a high level that can, to me, be worth this price tag, but... You know, what do I know? I just I just report it. I don't coach it um, at an NFL level. So, or I don't, I'm not a front office person. Let me say it that way. So, we'll see how it looms, but I think this is a mistake by the Saints. But we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I'm just going to say it. He's not a quarterback. I mean, I just, he's not. I don't I don't know why they even roll the incentives up to the whole of running the starting quarterback role. What are you doing? I mean, really. I mean, either you try again with Jameis, which to me that experiment didn't really work out. Or you go back to drawing board, finding another quarterback there. And I'm going to talk about uh, some other things that I think is going to happen here soon. There's going to, some quarterbacks are going to be on the market here. <laughs> they're going to be on the market here. So I don't uh, think that you were, should be overly concerned about getting uh, or keeping Taysom Hill as a, as a, as a, as a safe net for your quarterback position. I'm just saying, you know, I don't, you know, maybe it's just, it's, it's one of those Drew Brees, uh, fallout remorseful or uh, anxiety things where you were so comfortable with him for so long 
that you don't know what to do with yourself now because he's gone. But I think it's a mistake. So uh, in a bit of a, a, a upbeat news, like you can say from uh, a Stitcher perspective, Corlin Sutton notched a deal uh, with the Broncos for an extension uh, Monday. He makes him the highest paid receiver on his team. Um, now, you know, well worth it in my opinion because when he's healthy, he's a dominant force. Dominant force as a receiver, outside receiver. Now, what I also understand too is that they've set themselves up from a weapon and receiver perspective to be have their whole entire core that they have right now intact through 2024. And uh, again, all they need is a quarterback at this point. So, hmm. <laughs> so that to, that to me is a telltale sign as well that all they need is a quarterback. So we'll see how that shakes out in the offseason. But they got a receiving core. They got a tight end. They got two backs. Decent O-line. Defense is on point when healthy. I'm just saying. Watch out for that. All right. So get into actual headlines and uh, stories that we want to talk about today. Uh, Cam Newton, uh, you know, one of my favorite guys uh, in the, in, from at the quarterback position, uh, made his re- triumphant return to uh, Carolina uh, to play against his uh, old well, I want to call it old, his current, old but current team uh, played at home in uh, Bank of America Stadium for the first time in two or three years. Uh, so um, he returned into a heavy, heavy roaring ovation uh, from the from the uh, Carolina Panthers faithful. And uh, he was going up against his former coach, Ron Rivera, who he spent his entire uh, Carolina Panther career with uh, up until their uh, unceremonious departure uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, again, like I said, he came out. He came out. Cam came out roaring. You know, pun intended. You know, to the tune of uh, passing touchdown and rushing touchdown in his first two possessions. Um, so the can they put the Panthers up early, but to the Washington Football Team's credit, I, I, and I, I to the in a slightly improved defense, um, managed to step up and limit the Panthers holistically in the second half. And what they've been doing a really bang up job at, um, and I give Ron credit, Rivera the credit in this, is playing really good ball control offense. So what they're doing is they realize that my defense isn't lights out, you know? So what I'm going to do is going to play ball control. I want to call it dink and dunk, but ball control offense and, and control the game, control the time possession, limit your limit the other team's possessions, keep them out of rhythm. And we're going to control the game. We're going to dictate our, the pace that way. And that's what they did to Tampa. And that's what they ultimately end up enforcing against the uh, Carolina Panthers. Cause I didn't see, uh, the Panthers have a whole lot of positions in the second half as I was watching this game. And um, that's tip, that's ultimately what they did. And they took the uh, air out of the ball, basically, and uh, controlled the game and ended up getting a victory, surprisingly, um, against the Panthers at home. So, uh, so Ron Rivera gets uh, a victory against his old team. But, um, you know, outside of his sporting cans returning to Carolina, I think he played really good, in my opinion. I think he played uh, well, and I think he gave them – Way more juice at quarterback than they had since, uh, well, um, oh, hello, Cam. So I think he gave him way, give him just, they had, they hadn't had that much juice at quarterback since they had Cam. So, uh, hello. But yeah. So I would say that it was a good move to bring him back. You right or wrong. And I think this could ultimately be a lasting relationship, uh, if things shake out the way I think it might. Um, again, they didn't get to win this particular week, but I think they came with some games down the stretch and, and fight for that last playoff spot. So we'll see how things go. 
So staying in the NFC, let's uh, go uh, west and north. Let's go to the northwest and talk about Seattle. Seattle took another bad loss this weekend at the hands of the backup-led Colt McCoy Cardinals. Yeah, you heard that right. And at this point, I really feel like it's over for the Seahawks. It is. And I picked the Cardinals, although I think they were a good roster, finishing fourth, but I feel like they were all going to be above 500, but finishing, you know, they would just be the one that got the odd, you know, end of the stick as far as his, uh, you know, tough losses against divisional opponents. So they were going to end up last in the division. But it's a total complete flip-flop. The uh, the Rams in the in the uh, 49ers in the middle, and the Cardinals in the in the Seahawks are in the total opposite position. I thought they might be in. So with that being said, I just don't think that 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 the Seahawks can push put together put together enough enough uh, winning football in order to be make a run at the playoffs at this point. I really feel like it's over. They're way too far back in the division. And quite frankly, the way they constructed currently, I really feel like they're going to finish last, in last place. I really do. Which, well, you know, despite injury, not, you know, you know, I'm, I'm despite him being injured or coming back early, whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm sure that this particular situation is not going to sit well with Russell, Russell Wilson. So I'm looking at it like this. I really feel like he's growing tired of Pete Carroll and his old school mentality. And, um, and again, I, I just don't. I just don't think that this this particular uh, point in his career that he he wants to be there. I really think like he want to be somewhere else where he can fully compete for a title and not be completely dependent on to do everything. Because uh, ultimately, that was going to burn you out at the speed he's at. And he also he said recently that he wants to play twenty years in the league. And at the pace he's going with Seattle, and he's going to have a a true self aware come to Jesus moment with himself and realize that there's no way in hell I'm going to play play twenty years. I'm going to burn out and flame out in Seattle if, at this current pace based upon how they're currently constructed. The Seahawks are a mess. They are truly a mess. And the problem in this situation is that this, they don't have any way to build it back rapidly. They sold the farm to get Jamal Adams, who can't cover it worth a damn. <laughs> like He's a linebacker. Oh, I'm sorry. He's a safety. Strong safety. But... He does not cover at all. He can't cover a, a lick. So, yet he's a run-stopping linebacker playing safety. Let's just put it out there. I love Jamal. You know, I, I love his energy, but you know, just seeing him in coverage is like walking, watching a blind dog try to chase his tail. It's just bad business. It's just bad business. So, yet again, the way Russell feels about this whole situation, I really feel like he's going to force his way out of of Seattle coming this offseason. Now, we can go harken back to last offseason where he's, you know, it basically gave them ultimatum, said that find me more juice and more, more, yeah, just overall, find me more juice on offense. I need a better coordinator. I need better uh, weapons, uh, another weapon on offense from a tight end perspective, and I need another old lineman. They got them all that, and nothing changed. And because the, the, the overall issue to me is that, you know, on top of the fact that the offense can't seem to get going for some reason, and that goes back to my whole point about them last year losing their identity, um, you know. But you know, it might couple be coupled with the fact that you know Chris Carson is hurt and the O line doesn't have any chemistry. I don't know, but it just can't seem to sustain running the ball. You know, they haven't run the ball well since Marshawn. That's just put it plain, and that's where where they, where they success peaked at when they had a dominant running game with Marshawn, 
had a decent O-line, and Russell was able to make plays happen off those, off those run actions and play actions and boots and things of that nature. You know, he wasn't dropping back, you know, from the shotgun or straight dropbacks from the, from the gun or under center and throwing the ball down the field like he is now. Now, he can do it. Don't get me wrong. He can do it. But every, every quarterback, no matter how, if you're Tom Brady or Lamar Jackson, your best friend is their run game. That's your best friend because it takes the heat off you and makes it easier for you to manipulate the defense because they have to honor the run game. They do. So when Seattle doesn't have that element, you know, and you just straight drop back pass and you're not, you know, you're not Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers elite and pushing the ball down the field from a passing perspective, you know, you're good, but not as good as them. You hit snags. That's just it. You know, again, like I said, I just I think Russell's gonna sit down and have a serious talk with and self-awareness talk with himself. Like, look, the defense stinks. We're not gonna get any better anytime soon. O line is average at best. Sold the farm to get Jamal Adams. There's no way in the near future they're gonna build this back and be able to get us to where we need to be from a roster perspective, especially improving his defense. Pete Carroll's kind of a you know, I wanna call him a dinosaur, but he's you know, he's starting to fall behind the curve as far as being modern with the league. He's going to, I'm truly honest in believing that he's going to be like, I need to be somewhere else. I really do. Cause he doesn't want to waste his prime years on a dying ship. He doesn't. And he, I'm sure he feels at this point, the Seattle is, is a, is, is, is drawing, they're drawing water. It ain't sinking yet, but they're drawing water. And he don't want to be there when it starts to go down, go down. I mean, cause honestly, I mean, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know, uh, you know, as faithfully for you know, past several months, I've been talking about controlling your narrative and controlling your legacy. And I really feel like Russell is one of those people that are really big on controlling that and, and understanding that when you're done and when you leave the game, all you have left is how, how they remember you. And that's boils down to what your legacy is. And I really feel like he's going to try to submit his legacy the best way he could possibly can and control his, career the best way he can and get to places where he feel like he can be the most successful and he can maximize his talent, but don't be radically codependent on his talent. So remember I said it here first episode 64 that Russell Wilson is most likely going to force his way out of Seattle in all season. And I really feel like that um, it's just time. It's just time. I mean, he's an early 30, uh, you know, elite well, top five quarterback and he needs to be in a place uh, where he can honestly and truly maximize his years. Because he's seen what happened to Aaron, he's seen what happened to Tom and other people, and he look at it like, you know, I don't want to waste those years in purgatory, trying to, hoping, hoping and praying that the team figures it out. I want to go to a ready-made situation, kind of like Tom did when he left New England and went to Tampa. There was a ready-made situation. They were ready to go. All they needed was my leadership. And they won a Super Bowl. And they, and they and they honestly and truly they 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 are in line to compete for another. You know, you don't want to waste time. Don't want to waste time. So I think that's Russell's move, and I think he's going to force his way out. So remember, here I said it first. So uh, talking about another NFC quarterback, uh, Mr. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Now the Packers lose to the Vikings in a in nail biting fashion this past Sunday. And uh, they took they have taken another injury to the O line. Uh, guard slash tackle Elgin Jenkins is out with ACL. 
done for the season. Uh, so that looms large for Aaron because uh, David Bakhtiari is not back yet. Uh, they say he may be a couple of weeks or two or three maybe out, out from being available, which would, uh, if Jenkins hadn't got hurt, which would put, push them out of Bakhtiari's role and back into guard, which would improve their O-line. But now they have to f- figure out a way to get Bakhtiari back sooner than later to fill that void at left tackle that uh, Jenkins is leaving. Now, Jenkins did a bang-up job at left tackle, um, surprisingly, because you know, he, he's you know listed as a guard, but now he's out. So you have to look at it from the Packers' perspective. It's the injuries are really piling up at this point. Zaire's hurt. Uh, the Darius hurt. Uh, Aaron Jones is hurt. Uh, Aaron's got a bump toe. They lost. Uh, Boxyari's not back. Jenkins is now out for the season. Uh, they got a lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. Uh, Rashad Gary, he's banged up. I think he's week to week. So, so the question, you know, with all these injuries piling up. And, and and the schedule is not that favorable or easy for the Packers down the stretch. And uh, the question is, can they stay afloat long enough to get healthy? And I would say, and if you added a buy-in, you know, I guess that's about a two, that's about a three to four week time frame for them to get healthy. Now they have the Rams, uh, who are off a buy, and that pass rush. They have the buy their own buy after that game. Then they get the Bears, and then they get the Ravens. And at that point, they should be fully healthy. But what's the fallout from those games? Now, if they're not fully healthy um, by the Ravens game, getting uh, Boxiari, Jair, and Aaron back, uh, it could be one and four in that stretch in their last five. And if the Vikings keep winning, they could put pressure on, uh, you know, I, I do have my doubts about the Vikings still winning. Let me put that, make that clear. But if they happen to keep winning, uh, they're going to put pressure on the Packers to, to, to buy for that division crown. I do believe they got to play each other again. Um, again, and on top of the fact Aaron got a toe issue, that's worse than turf toes, what he said, is really hindering his movements. So you have no left tackle, bum toe. It's a tall order. And there's been a lot of drama with the Packers this whole offseason with Aaron and, and his COVID issues, and now they got a bunch of injuries. It's a lot to overcome. Now, you know, I'm not a big... Aaron Rodgers fan at the moment because of he uh, because of his bow face lie that he gave here recently. But I, I I mean call a spade a spade. If they happen to rise above this adversity, you have to give credit where credit is due. If they maintain their lead and they can still uh, acquire a top seed despite all this, then get healthy and be ready to go by playoff time. Hey man, hats off to Aaron. I, I do. I because I, I was having my questions about whether or not he's going to be right off COVID. And all the mess he been he been spewing in regards to the front office and him wanting out and things and all this kind of stuff, last dance pictures and all this drama, I just like man, look, it's enough is enough, you know. But he's able to to uh, win and be able to compete despite all his adversity and still be one of the teams hanging around at the end. Kudos, man. <laughs> Kudos, and I think we have to give Aaron the credit. Uh, for being an elite quarterback and letting his his talent really pull him through all of that adversity. Got to give him credit, but it remains to be seen. But it's definitely something to watch. Definitely something to watch. So uh, next up, we're going to take a quick break, and then when next up, we're going to talk about the Chiefs. Uh, I want to talk about them and in, in their uh, victory over the Cowboys this weekend, what that means. So stay tuned for that. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. 
And we're back with more NFL headlines. It's the Lockdown Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. So we're going to forward over to the AFC side of the things now for NFL headlines. And um, there's another story that I'm I'm tracking that um, is going to uh, ultimately uh, loom large when it comes down to the playoffs and what's going to what it's going to mean for who's going to be the front runner for the AFC uh, at the end of the end of the games, uh, week 18. Got to get that right now. Got to say week 18 now. It's no longer week 17. Got that extra game, which I still argue is, is pointless, but whatever. Another spat for another day. <laughs> but yeah, um, we got another game here. So it's week 18. So the Chiefs um, eked out a 10-point victory in, uh, in Arrowhead over the Cowboys this past week. And the question on everybody mind, everybody minds you know, from a Kansas City perspective is, are they back? Uh, you know, are they back to that, you know, form of, being uh, a front runner for the Super Bowl, you know, can they make it back to their third Super Bowl in three years? Uh, you know, can we trust them to sustain this winning streak and get to the playoffs? That's that's the overall question. And you know, again, and if you do, you know, what's their ceiling? You know, can they get back to the Super Bowl? Um, you know, in the NFL, people adjust. Defense coordinators get paid too. Is is a is an old saying. Now, I will say this. The Chiefs have improved, you know, let's say from week two. But I still believe they have struggles on offense. I really do. Um, you know, they're not who they once were uh, in the past. I really do. I really feel like people are honestly and truly realizing finally that they're really can truly Tyreek and Kelsey dependent. And you can find ways to keep uh, them bottled up or keep people around them. That's going to keep Patrick off rhythm, off script. And, you know, have making him have to improvise more than he likes. That's been a game plan for him for most of this year. And that was what the game plan was in the Super Bowl. That's been a game plan for most teams going into this season. And it's worked in certain facets. So they've taken some losses from people that have been really steady and honing in on that uh, ideology and making you beat me another way. And they haven't been able to get it done in, in large regard. Um, now, I will say this. Andy Reid is a Hall of Fame coach. Holmes is one of the best quarterbacks talent-wise in the league. You know, and it could be one of those situations where Andy's playing possum a little bit here. He could be waiting to show some new wrinkles later on in the season or, you know, the playoffs, you know, you know, as long as they keep winning ugly, you know, you know, all they gotta do is, you know, get to the dance and they can they can show their new outfit. Let me let me say it that way. So they can win ugly, you know, down the stretch. And uh and then they can give you a whole different level and wrinkle to their offense and things that they haven't unveiled yet. And all of a sudden we're talking about the Chiefs, the Chiefs being one of the best or not the best in the AFC again. Could be that. Could be that. You know, like Sandy could be playing a little bit of possum here. You know, he don't want to give he, you any more ammunition to film or what he wants to do that's going to combat the way they're being played right now. But, you know, what what is what what are we going to do in the interim? Now, I will give, say this outside of the Chargers game. Their schedule is pretty favorable. They played all their tough games at this point. You know, they got division games. They played the Raiders and Broncos a few times. But the Chargers again, that's me. That's the toughest game left. So they got to play at the Chargers. But, you know, what, honestly and truly, what is this going to mean for them going down the line? Because, you know, like I said, I have questions about how the offense is flowing. I mean, I beat up Dallas team. They only beat them by 10. It was 19 to 9. You know, they're again, good teams. You know, if they do win, they're not they're not blowing their doors off. 
So again, I got a, I got a lot of questions about, you know, what exactly uh, this team is and what, what's their identity, how how are they going to ultimately uh, fare come you know playoff time, you know for, you know for that for that longer stretch. So you know, will they be a top seed? You know, will they be a wild card? Who knows? You know, but again, you know, I'm just curious exactly what what is happening with the with the Chiefs and what is going to really mean. Uh, holistically going down the line and you know where would they be uh come week 18 now again i mean as a Chargers fan i i love to see them struggle but uh but the, the mere fact that i like to see them struggle and and they're likely going to make a run at this point because when you go too hard you know advocating for somebody to struggle that's when they rise and, and flourish so we'll see how it, it shakes out for the chiefs but i got still got questions about whether or not they can consent i'm Honestly and truly, I got questions about the whole AFC, and we're gonna get into that in a minute. It's it's a lot of struggling going on for teams. I think they need to be playing well and playing good football right now. This it's week twelve of eighteen, and you need to start hitting your stride at least around week 13, 14, 15. You need to start hitting your stride and stop you know getting these injuries out of the way. You know, getting people back healthy and getting back on the field, and ultimately start playing good cohesive ball going into the playoffs. Outside of that, if you're not you could be one and done. It'd be one and done. So let's keep an eye on it because I think that the Chiefs aren't playing really good ball right now and they need to elevate their game. And that's going to lead me into another team that I want to talk about, uh, the Bills. You know, again, speaking of AFC teams that struggle to find themselves, that's what is really happening with the Bills right now. I, I, I tell you what's happening. And I said this a long time ago that the Bills are one-dimensional. You know, they, they have no presence or existence of a running game outside of Josh Allen's scrambles. And it's rearing this ugly head because teams are now leaning into you being a pass-heavy team. And Josh Allen, as good as I think he can be, isn't as polished as he this year as he was last year. And that's going in reverse for me. I, I see him press, miss throws, lack touch on passes that he needs to complete at a high rate that, that should be, you know, uh, easy money and he's not getting it done. You know, I, and now after the second ugly loss to the Colts, I mean, it was, oh, it was ugly. They're not in, you know, they're now second in the division behind the evil empire. You know, and it's a team they have to face twice in the next couple of weeks. You know, I stood down on, on my take on the run because of that being the Achilles heel because I felt like they were getting to the point where they're becoming such an elite passing team that they can almost take a page out of the Chiefs book and be so dominant in the pass game, they don't really need to run game. But I'm I'm right back to it, right back to it. You have to at least make a team respect you from a run perspective. You got to make at least think about it. I mean, I'm not saying that you can line up in power and be the Browns and the Ravens and line up in pistol and power eye and things of that nature and just run the ball down your throat no matter if you got 12 in the box or not. I'm not saying that. But it has to be in the minds of a defense to say, hey, they may be able to run the ball and run the ball effectively. And if they can't do that and – it's really if you can't do that and you can't honestly lean into that at least a little bit, this could really loom large on how far the how far the Bills go if you solely relied on Josh Allen and have to bet on him week to week. No, it just I'm I'm just saying he hasn't been that consistent. He's been very inconsistent, and they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to make a statement again against the Saints and the Pats here soon to shake the narrative, or else they're gonna leave the door wide open for the Emperor to take over the Republic. And if you're Star Wars fans, you know exactly what I mean by that. 
So, speaking of the dark side, <laughs> this is a story I really wanted to get to because it's been on my mind uh, all weekend. Ever since Thursday, as a matter of fact, uh, the Patriots have won five straight football games here. And outside of the Chargers game, it hasn't been close. They're toting one of the best overall defenses in the league with um, with a steady pace of wins that, that race, you know, and that steady pace wins the race kind of offense that they have with Mac Jones. They're doing a lot of typical Patriot things. They're not making mistakes. They're not playing outside of themselves. And that, you know, that formula will win you games in this league. I'm just saying. You know, and I'm and I'm going to broach the topic now because it it really, really, you know, I'm really going to see if I can get ahead of the curve with this because I really feel like that I'm thinking this could play out. That, you know, and, and it's funny because I find that, that you know, I break stories on my network and then days and weeks later, the big boys are talking about it. You know, the big news anchors and, you know, networks and, you know, talk shows and things like that, they start talking about it. So I'm going to talk about it here in depth now and see who talks about it later. But the Patriots could be a dark horse to run the table in the AFC. I'm going to say it. Because if you look at it like this, teams who I pegged to, to they could beat the Patriots right now uh, are having problems. The Bills, I just look, talked about. The Chiefs, I just talked about. And the Titans. Maybe the Ravens. But guess what? They're all struggling in certain facets. And we can... We can deep dive and talk about that all day, but they're struggling. They're not in tip-top shape. And again, you know, the Bills and their woes, the Chiefs have been consistent all year, and the Titans are missing Derrick Henry. A.J. Brown's getting x-rays and Julio's on IR. They got problems. So, so that leaves the rest of the AFC teams that are our potential playoff candidates, right? And they all have one thing in common, young quarterbacks. And I'm sorry, but Evil Bill eats young quarterbacks for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, Bill has done a few things over the life of his career better than anyone else. And one, you know, they, they play good football. They make no mistakes or miscues. Two, they take away the, the thing that you want to do best and make you beat them another way. And three, they confuse the hell out of your quarterback. And I'm sorry, AFC, that's a recipe for disaster in the early rounds for young teams, for sure. And, you know, and for the so-called top dogs, if they don't have your best stuff that day, you can get beat too. You know, I'm not, I'm, you know, much as I'm not a Sith Lord enthusiast as a Chargers fan, I got to give credit where credit is due. And like I said last week, the shroud of the dark side is returning. So if you're not careful, AFC, Patriots could be in the Super Bowl. And our, how ironic would this be? That Tom Brady could face Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl in SoFi Stadium. I mean, that's a story that it can write itself. You don't even need anybody to do it for you. You know, if that's not, again, if that's not a story that can't really can write itself, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. So I'm telling you right now, looking at their schedule, you know, that bit, them two Bills games are going to tell me a lot. Will tell me a lot about where the Patriots truly are or where the Bills aren't. But regardless of that, regardless of that, the Patriots are a real threat. Let's just be let's just be clear about it. You gotta give the devil his due. And you gotta give Bill credit. So So that begs the question. Who's the front runner in the AFC? And it seems like week to week in both conferences we're crying a new team as the favorite. 
And with the Titans and Bills taking embarrassing losses, Chiefs struggling offensively, still can't hang your hat on any team that's that's gonna be oh my that's the those those are the guys. Outside of Patriots, like I said. I can't believe that, you know, it's a serious thought that one year removed from Brady, that's who it is. But the Ravens keep winning, but they're with with their injuries, their luck may ran out soon. It really might. I mean, they won. I don't know how my God, how did they win against the Bears uh, Sunday? I don't know. But but any, who's the clear cut? Who is the clear cut if factor in terms of who's going to be the team that we're going to be like? Okay, they they have the serious chance to make it to Super Bowl. And again, I can't tell you that. Again, outside of the the, the the Pats, but yet again, they have a rookie quarterback. So how can you say that? So I'll tell you this. Next four to five weeks are going to be very telling. Are very telling about who's going to separate themselves from the pack. Uh, and I'm waiting for those Pats and Bills games because that's going to tell me, uh, you know, if the Bills, if the Pats are real, you know, and can they separate themselves, you know, from everybody else that's going to, you know, be playing in January and who's going to ultimately be the winner. But those Pats and Bills games loom large and what the Chiefs do down the stretch is going to tell me a lot. You know, of course, I'm rooting for my charges, but We've got some deficiencies on, on defense, especially. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's anybody's ball game, but you got to be able to execute and not make mistakes. And one team that doesn't do that is the Patriots. I'm sorry. And that's really the formula to win games and win football games in the playoffs, especially. So look out, man. I don't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, crown them, but I really feel like that could be a big time uh, storyline going down the line it's towards the end of the season. So, Watch out for the Patriots and um, who else is going to separate themselves as being elite in the AFC. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll get into uh, our COVID updates, injuries, and uh, grievance of the week. Stay tuned for that. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. And we are back with more NFL headlines, COVID updates, injuries, and our grievances of the week. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Appreciate everybody hanging in with us up to this point. Man, it's been a good show so far. Um, check out the previous segments if you haven't already. Uh, it's been good content. You know, Check that out as, as, as entirety. And uh, we're going to get into our COVID updates now. We're going to talk about who's on the COVID list and who's been injured this week. That's a major impact for teams that are contending for for uh, playoff spots at the moment. And uh, then we're going to give out our blindside hit of the week, and then we're going to do our grievance of the week as uh, customary for the podcast. So starting off with uh, the COVID updates, um, two big ones that are, that are going to hit uh, heavy uh, for this Broncos Chargers game in particular. The ones, these are a couple of names I picked out of the updates that Adam Schefter and Robert Port gave on Twitter. Linval Joseph, who was unvaccinated from my perspective, is test the positive for COVID-19 as well as Garrett Bowles uh, for the Broncos. So uh, you have an O-lineman uh, for uh, the Broncos and the D nose tackle for the Chargers are both likely out for their game on Sunday because of their positive test for COVID-19. 
All right, so injury news. Um, the Jets uh, lose Michael Carter to an ankle injury. He's going to be out about two to three weeks, uh, so that's going to hurt the Jets' running game. Uh, the Packers, as I alluded to earlier, has lost uh, El- El- Elginton Jenkins to an ACL injury. Uh, Saints lost Adam Troutman for a few weeks with MCL. Uh, the Eagles lose Jordan Howard to a knee for a few weeks. Uh, Jamal Agnew for the Jaguars is out for the season on IR for, with a hip injury. AJ Brown is out for uh, these day-to-day, I want to say, for the rib injuries. His x-rays came back negative on Monday, so he is day-to-day. Justin Fields is going to be evaluated for a concussion. Uh, he's in concussion protocol. I think he has a rib injury as well. Um, so he's questionable for Thursday's game uh, on Thanksgiving for the Bears. Uh, and Baker Mayfield is just quite honestly, he's just hurt at this point. He has a multitude of injuries, and they keep piling up, and he's still playing. And uh, finally, Alvin Kamara is uh, still out with a knee injury. Um, I want to say C.J. Watt is still day-to-day, and Lamar Jackson is still day-to-day with both uh, knee injuries and uh, illness, respectively. So, uh, yeah, so those are those are breakdowns for uh, injury report. So uh, let's get into our hot games of the week and how we fared. And uh, I'm going to tell you right off, it, it wasn't that pretty, <laughs> to say the least. It wasn't that pretty. I went three and three. Uh, this week, um, I picked the Colts to cover, and uh, they definitely did. I picked the Packers to win, and they lost in the upset. I picked the Chargers to win, and they did. Uh, I picked the Panthers to win, and they lost to the football team. Uh, I picked the Cowboys to beat the Chiefs, and they lost. And I picked the Cardinals to win. So, yeah, I went three and three. Coach Curry and I both went three and three this week. So, uh, five hundred is not the win of the world, but you know we're trying to get above five hundred at this point. You know we've down in the dumps and we just can't seem to get right boss can't seem to get right but they're all good games they're all good games but definitely uh picking is not my forte i'm three and up for fantasy for the last two weeks but i can't seem to get right with it with the picks it just i was hot last year i just can't seem to get on track this year at all i'm not sure when if i've had a, a above 500 year a week up to this point and we're 12 weeks in can't get right boss can't get right we gonna keep trying we'll keep fighting man that's what we're here for so yeah, those are our hot games of the week. So uh, let's talk about the blindside hits of the week. I'm here to tell you <laughs> what blindsided me this week is this: the Bills getting drugged by the Colts. And the Titans taking an ugly loss as well. I mean, uh, you know, and we all argued, at least for the Titans' perspective, we all argue, you know, because they're missing Derrick Henry, things like that. He's a big part of the offense, right? We were all, you know, wondering whether or not he was going to, uh, the Titans were going to be sustained a success. And they were, they were. And we were just like, how are they doing it? But boy, they got exposed <laughs> this past week. I mean, it's, it wasn't even pretty. And and the Bills got beat worse than the Titans did. And uh, we're all scratching our head. You know, I mean, come on. The Titans lost to the Texans, who were 1-8 and eight before that. And uh, the Colts were, were, were trending upward, but they completely and utterly, Jonathan Taylor completely and utterly himself ran over the entire entirety of the Bills' defense. And for some reason, the Bills couldn't get on track at all offensively. 
And, um, you know, I did not see that coming at all. The, the 41 to 15 loss the, the Bills took and the Titans, the 22 to 13 loss, I did not see it happening. We're definitely a complete and utter blind side for me. So, uh, yeah, it would definitely uh, caught me off guard, but um, that's why you play the game, I guess, huh, Herm Edwards? So let's move on to our grievance of the week. And I'm, this is going to be a little bit of detail uh, here. So uh, let's get into it. Tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. All right. So my grievance of the week is this. Now, I, 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 I told back and forth between the idea of talking about officiating yet again, because I'm still sick of this roughing the passer and taunting calls that they've been calling. It's affecting games. It is. I'm just putting the NFL notice that I haven't forgot that the taunting rule and the roughing the passer rule needs to be changed. The taunting rule needs to go away, period. And the roughing the passer needs to be tweaked. That's my professional opinion on that particular topic. But. That being said, that being said, I'm going to flip and talk, talk about something totally different this week in my grievance of the week. My grievance of the week is with the uh, Browns front office. Um, they have Baker Millfield at, in a quandary and, um, at this point. I really feel like they are pressuring him to play despite all his injuries. And, I, and it's twofold. I really feel like they pressure him to play because they're trying to keep pace and try to fight their way into a playoff spot at some point on top of the fact that he's also fighting for his life when it comes to a contract um, extension. So he's literally, you know, against my better judgment and should be his as well, playing through a torn labrum, a separated shoulder, uh, a, a sprained knee, a, a sprained ankle, uh, Amongst other things, I think he got a few other ailments that he has going on right now, and 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 Brown's uh, media is dragging him for playing bad. I mean, he Baker Mayfield can't win. Now I, I've been critical. I think two weeks ago I really underscored exactly what the Browns had in Baker Mayfield as a quarterback. I did. Now whether he's marginal or average from a quarterback perspective or not. This particular ideology of what they're doing to him is wrong. It really is. And I'm going to defend Baker here. I really am. Um, I really feel like they should have given him a week or two off. I really feel like they have one of the more capable backups in Case Keenum, especially with, from their offense perspective and what they can do offensively and what they lean into in their running game. I really feel like Case Keenum can give you just as, just as much shot at winning football games right now as Baker Mayfield can beat up. You know, but he feels like he needs to play for his contract. His Team is also putting pressure on him to play because he, they feel like, you know, air court, he's their best option to win and they have to win every game at this point. So I really feel like it's completely and utterly foul that they're pressuring him indirectly. And of course, they're not coming out and physically saying, look at me in the face like you need to play or else. But everybody knows that passive aggressive pressure versus that aggressive pressure. And they give him a lot of passive aggressive pressure right now. And I really feel like it's, it's, it's foul for them to do that to him. You know, because at this point, let's be real about the situation. You know, whether he wins and gets you to the playoffs yet again for the second time in, in, in two years or not, you know what you have in this man. You should, at this point, you should know. You should know exactly what you have. So your decision should be set. You should know exactly whether or not, yes, you're going to franchise him, extend him, or release him. That, that, those are your options. Those are your options. So you should know what your options are and what you are leaning towards at this point. You know, he's a 500 quarterback. He's slightly above 500 quarterback. 
He has one win above 500 at this point based on the last one he just got. So, hey, I understand that Kevin Stavansky is an, is a is a you know the best quarterback best coach he's had it from a as since he's been a quarterback of the Browns. I get that, you know. But do you want that relationship to continue? Are they are they on the same page? You know, because you got his wife coming out and saying things, his family, dad, and people coming out and saying certain things about the organization. On top of the fact that he's, uh, you know, being standoffish with the media now. So, yeah, I really feel like this is just a just a uh combustible situation that really could blow up and blow up in the Browns' face yet again for the 30th time. But and I feel like they they're playing it all wrong. I think they really feel like they, they should give him some time off, give him time to get his body together, heal up, you know, at least the minor injuries he has. The torn labrum and those things like that's not gonna go away. But at least let him have his legs under him, you know, when he's not having an ankle and a knee injury. You know, but again, Case Keenum's gonna give you exactly enough to be, get you through, get you by for a couple of weeks and allow him to rest and come back healthy, uh, healthier. Let me say it that way, because at this point nobody's truly healthy in the NFL at this, this juncture. But come back healthier and be able to produce at a higher level, you know. Because can't blame can't blame OBJ anymore. He's no longer there. So you know it's really up to Baker's injuries at this point how far you go, and if you don't you know rest him in the times you can or should. It's, it's going to end badly, you know, because he's not going to be able to play the way he played against the Lions and against the Ravens in the next couple of weeks and expect to win games. This is not going to happen. I don't care how bad the defense is for the Ravens right now. It's not going to work out for you in their favor. So I'm saying Browns, you know, for once, don't get in your own way. But that's the Browns way. So we'll see how it shakes out. But that's my grievance of the week. So uh, we, that's going to wrap up the NFL headlines and segment for the NFL. So uh, stay tuned for the fourth quarter closeout. It's Lockdown Davis Podcast. Back with the four quarter close out of the Lockdown Davis podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh man, another episode in the books. Episode 64 is a wrap. We appreciate everybody's support. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, share, share, like, let everybody know we out here. Uh, turn the notification bells on so you know exactly when we go live uh, and when we drop content each and every week. Uh, man, four quarter close out is here. We're going to give out our awards. We'll bring out a player of the week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, and Big Dumb of the Week. So let's get into it, man. Let's do it. First portal order, quick bit of advertisement. If you want to get into our weekly pick'em league for the Lockdown Defense podcast, you can do so uh, if you see it on the screen. And radio artists, I'll read it to you uh, accordingly. We're doing a Yahoo Pick'em League. We pick uh, each and every game week to week, on we pick the outcomes of the uh, of games and who's going to be the winners. And the person that picks the most games will ultimately win a cash prize of upwards of $200 per week. Uh, it's a $10 buy-in, winner-take-all. Right now we have 12 members in the league. We have eight slots to fill left so if you want to join the pick'em league please let me know you can reach out to me via twitter at lockdown defense you can also reach out to me on instagram via dm lockdown defense sports or if you want to email me at lockdown defense sports at gmail.com you can do that as well 
you can play each and every week, opt out at any time. Uh, the tiebreaker rules and effects, so we also we always can declare a winner. But in the unlikely event that if Yahoo cannot determine a winner, we will split the prize evenly. We pay out through Cash App and PayPal. Uh, money's due each and every week to, before the start of the week. Uh, so if the game's on Thursday, the money's due on Thursday. Going into the week, make sure you make your picks. You can do it through Yahoo website or the phone app, so uh, you can keep yourself up to date. And if you want to get weekly updates for the league, we have a group meet chat. That we uh, get, go back and forth and do some banter, talking to trash, and uh, talk about the games and football as a whole. So if you want to get into that and get involved, leave, please let me know and reach out to me so we can get you into the Pick'em League so we can get that going for you. As well as our weekly schedule, it's all up on the uh, docket. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, for the radio audience, I'll read it to you as well. Uh, Mondays, uh, replay for Coach uh, Sports Talk with Coach and Kirk goes live on all platforms at 11 a.m. Uh, so any platform you get your podcast from, you can review the uh, replay of our live show on Saturdays on Monday mornings at 11 a.m. Tuesday, as you listen to this now, the podcast goes live at 10 a.m. each and every uh, uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can check that out on all platforms as well. On Thursdays, while we're doing the NFL uh, weekly picks, we're going to give our, a reveal our weekly picks for the Pick'em League on uh, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Excuse me, Thursdays at 8 o'clock. Uh, we're going to go uh, at 8 o'clock on this uh, particular uh, brand so we don't give away my picks too early. That's really what it boils down to. We do it 8 o'clock on Thursdays for weekly picks. Fridays at uh, 11 a.m., we're doing Chargers Corner. So all news and views for Chargers uh, uh, Corner breakdowns for the last week's game and the keys to victory for next week's game is going to be available at 11 a.m. on YouTube for uh, Charter's Corner. So check that out on our YouTube channel. And Saturdays, as always, we go live at 9 o'clock on Twitch.tv. For us, that Lockdown Demon Sports for Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have a live and uncut and uh, real reg- rugged and raw breakdown of the sports world with uh, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt with Coach Kurt and myself. So uh, we definitely uh, we like to have you for our live shows as well. So uh, check that out if you can. All right, so let's give out our awards for uh, each and every uh, category that we have. Breakout player of the week and lockdown defender. Uh, this week I have a little rough time dis- uh, deciphering what we're going to do for quarterback. Uh, obviously, I want to give it to Justin Herbert because of his uh, comeback win against the Steelers. But I also got to give kudos to Kirk Cousins. Now, I, now, Justin did have an INT that wasn't really his fault. It was batted up deeply high in the air and caught by a defender. So, again, it wasn't a bad throw uh, by him. It was just an unfortunate deflection. But um, they have very comparable stats. Justin was uh, 31, 30 of 41, 382 passing yards with three touchdowns, and also had 90 yards rushing and an overall quarterback rating of 116.1, three touchdowns through the air. Uh, Kirk Cousins was 24, 35 for 341, Three touchdowns as well, and a passing rating of 128.4. Rushing, Jonathan Taylor tore it up, as we all know. He had five total touchdowns, 32 carries for 185 yards rushing on the day. Uh, Justin Jefferson tore it up again for the second week in a row, and receiving, he had eight receptions for 168 yards and two touchdowns. And for lockdown defender of the week, we do Justin Jones wreak havoc and totally wrecked the Cowboys game plan for from a pass rush perspective. He had five total tackles, three solos, two tackles for loss, a pass breakup, three and a half sacks, and three quarterback hits. So, yeah, one-man wrecking crew for the Chiefs uh, this past Sunday. And Cal Voinoy on Thursday. Cal Voinoy on Thursday had a monster game himself. He had, I mean, talking about filling up the stat sheet here. He had eight tackles, five solos, two sacks, two tackles for loss, a pass breakup, two quarterback hits, an INC that was a pick six. So, hey, amen. <laughs> What can you say about these boys? Justin Herbert, Kirk Cousins, Jonathan Taylor, uh, 
Justin Jefferson, Chris Jones, and Calvin know you are the Lockdown Davis Podcast. is Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown Defender of the Week. Now, on the Big Dummy of the Week, uh, this is a little bit of a lighthearted one uh, this week. I'm not going to go too heavy into it, but um, I got to give credit where credit is due in this regard. Um, <laughs> the Bears, Chicago Bears defense, uh, you should ought to be ashamed of yourself. You really should. I-, I-, I can't say enough about how bad you were down the stretch in the Bears game at home against the Ravens with a backup quarterback in Tyler Huntley. You were, you were up by uh, more than a field goal. I just want to say it that way. So the so the Bears had to get a touch. Excuse me, the Ravens had to get a touchdown, which they couldn't do all game. The entire game, the entirety of the game, couldn't score a touchdown, and you let them score on you, going the length of the field with a uh, little time remaining on the clock in the fourth quarter to allow them to win the game. Now I understand that Justin uh, Fields was knocked out of this game, but but Andy Dalton came in and played a, played a really good game. And the defense decided to shit the bid uh, at the end to allow the the Ravens to sneak away with a victory that they didn't earn. <laughs> just tell you, yeah, Bears defense, especially in the Bears organization as a whole, should really be ashamed of themselves about how you didn't let up a uh, uh, any more than a thing more than a field goal all game long, and then you wait to give up a touchdown when you matter the most. Bears should should be ashamed of yourself. And the second part of this big dummy is the Browns front office is what I alluded to earlier in my grievance of the week. For them pressuring, the coaching staff and the front office of the, of the Browns, pressuring and, and, and I guess you can say passive-aggressively pressuring Baker Mayfield to play for his contract life and for the and for the success of the team. He should be sitting at this point, let Keith Keenan play until he's as healthy as he can get and put him back on the field at that point. So, I really think it is completely utterly wrong for them to treat Baker like this. Now, granted, he is who he is as a quarterback, but you're not going to do him any services or do yourself any services from a team perspective by forcing him to play passive-aggressively. So, so the Bears defense and the Browns front office and coaching staff, you get a Big Dummy of the Week award. You Big Dummy! So that's going to wrap it up, man. We appreciate everybody coming through this, day, this week, as always, and uh, we'll be right back here next week for... Uh, Another episode of podcast from the Lockdown Davis uh, Network. So uh, in the meantime, between time, and before I go, I want to give a shout out to my alma mater, Bowie State University, for winning the CIAA title and winning their first playoff game against Lenore Ryan over the weekend at Bowie uh, State University. They hosted a playoff game as being one of the top seeds in the Division II ranking. So shouts out to BSU for winning a football game. They got another one this Saturday. So if you want to come on support, Bowie State, 1 o'clock, be there, be square. Shouts out to Bulldogs for getting getting the job done. Coach Wilson for doing his bang-up job as a coach, man. Um, and I also <laughs> want to uh, give a quick shout-out to uh, the Chargers for getting that Steelers win. <laughs> Definitely want to do that. Definitely want to do that. But in the meantime, in between time, I mean, man, Coach Defense, step up and lock it down.